And so uh, before I sort of dive into um, preaching today, for those who are guest visitors and maybe you haven't been here in quite a while, I just wanted to give you just a heads up. I'm not the normal uh, preaching pastor on Sunday mornings, and I'm also not the leader senior pastor. And so I just want to clarify that. And so for those who do not know me, I'm going to just give you a little brief profile of myself. And I'm actually going to borrow from Rex's sermon last week and using his uh, sermon points. And so identity. Uh, my name is Paul Porter. And at the age of 18, during my senior high school, I gave my life to Jesus and became a follower of him. And then also I am Texan, so deal with it. Uh, calling. What's my calling? Um, I'm convinced that I'm called to coach Christ, and that's in two parts. Uh, first part is to um, coach those who are lost, meaning those who are not believers in, in Jesus, and lead them to him. And then the second part is that those who are already in Christ Jesus, to coach them, to disciple them, to become more like Jesus each and every day. So that's teaching, preaching, and building relationships with them. So that's my calling and then my current general life assignment is that I am the youth pastor here at True North Church. And then my specific assignment for this morning is to preach a sermon to y'all today. And so hopefully I will fulfill that assignment um, faithfully this morning. Um, so, But before I sort of dive into the sermon, I just will, yeah, I will say that we are... We're, once again, going to take a little detour away from the Gospel of John, and maybe we'll finish it by the time our sixth graders graduate high school, maybe? I mean, we'll see, but we're, we're uh, chugging through that. But today we're going to take another detour from that. And before I actually talk and preach about my sermon, I want to sort of lay an image on your mind as we sort of uh, go through the sermon and, go and sort of navigate through this journey that I'm going to walk you through. And so... Like I said, I'm Texan, so I'm actually not from Ohio. I moved here in October to take the job position of being a youth pastor here. And so, obviously, when you move to a new state, new area, there's a lot you don't know. And a lot of places you don't know, but you want to go out and do stuff. And so, hey, here's this restaurant. Let me plug in the address in my GPS, and it sort of tells me where to go kind of deal. So, I have one of these TomToms that's in my car. I use it pretty often, and it's sort of a little sad because sometimes I have to use it even in, in Wasion sometimes because... I'm still learning. I'm like, okay, I know my street, and I know Shoop, and that's about it, you know? I mean, so I'm still still somewhat dependent upon the GPS. But uh, over the past several months, um, I used to not have my Easy Pass, and so if I wanted to go to Toledo or somewhere else, I'd plug in my GPS, and it was like, aha, you had got to go in the turnpike. And I'm like, uh, no, I want to save some coins. But luckily on my GPS, there is a setting to where you can change it to where you can avoid certain things on your route. And so on one line, you can sit there and say, oh, avoid tolls. Click that. And then it re- recalculates, recalibrates, and gives you a new route. And I'm like, ah, okay, two, three more minutes, but I'm saving some coins. So I'm going to take that route. And so using that image that a lot of times, yeah, we want to avoid certain things within a, a journey to or towards a destination. But not only that, we actually, um, in our walk with Christ or Christian faith, we actually try to avoid a lot. Not only that, we even like to try to take shortcuts. We try to take shortcuts in our prayer life. We try to take shortcuts in our um, Bible reading or devotional time. Sometimes we even take uh, shortcuts from our fellowship with other Christians. And so there are times that we actually try to avoid to do certain things that are pretty vital to Christian growth and the Christian life. And then there's one specific thing I'm going to talk about today, uh, one aspect of the Christian faith that I think we 
just completely avoid and maybe we even suppress because we think we have a proper understanding when we really don't. And so the specific journey that I'm going to talk about today, if you have to title my sermon, you can title my sermon, Pain to Promise. And so the journey we're going to go through is that at point A is pain and then point B is promise. So what do I mean by pain to promise? And so at point A, pain, what do I mean by pain? So there's different kinds of pain. We've got, um, we have emotional pain, which is pain, you know, maybe from a loss of a loved one or uh, maybe a heartbreak from a broken up relationship or marriage. Maybe there's obviously physical pain, which could be of injury or illness. And then even mental pain, just this anguish of the daily struggles of life. And so if you have gotten out of bed lately, you realize that we see and experience pain quite often. And it's definitely demoralizing at times. And so pain is going to be our starting place on this journey. But our destination or the destination we desire and crave is promise. So what do I mean by promise? Is that as followers of Jesus, when we, when we open up God's word in his Bible and in the word, we see that there are thousands of promises that God says. He's like, I promise you to be faithful to you. I promise to, uh, to keep our covenant um, sacred. I promise the uh, eternal life that's in my son Jesus. And so there's tons of promises. And so when we open up God's word, we're like, wow, you know, I see these promises. These are great and I believe in them. But not only do we want to see them and believe them. We actually want them obvious and evident in our lives. And so sometimes we don't see that. We don't experience that. And, and so that's the destination we want. We don't want just to think and believe in the promises of God. But we want to see them evident, obvious, and manifest in our life. And so the rest of my sermon, I'm actually going to talk about a specific thing. A specific Christian concept that, I'm, as we'll see, I think it's clear, clear that it's in God's Word. It's in Scripture. And I think that we have to, we can't take shortcuts. We can't go around this, that we must go through the tollway and pay the cost and pay the price if we're truly going to move from point A, pain, to point B, promise. And that specific concept or specific teaching in Scripture is called lament. Now, some of you, or maybe most of you, are like, lament, what is he talking about? I don't even know what that word is. I don't even know what it means. And that's why we're going to learn about it today, because we need something to learn, right? And so lament. So before I actually go through the rest of the sermon and tell you what lament is and sort of describe the journey of lament that we see in Scripture, I want to say what lament is not. Lament is not the stages of grief, though going through grief is definitely probably going to be a part of lament in some nature. Lament is also not do these four or five steps and ta-da, the promises of God will appear in your lap. That's not what I'm talking about when I talk about lament. Though there might be things for us to do, to surrender to, but it's not a step system. And then also, lament is not another coping mechanism just to put in your arsenal of coping mechanisms. Yes, we need different kinds of coping mechanisms that's good, that's healthy for our emotional, psychological health, but that's not what lament is. And so those three things I just mentioned, that might be a part of your lament journey, but that is not lament within itself. And so if I have to, I guess, give a short, sweet definition, what is lament? What do you mean by lament? Here's what I would say. Lament is the authentic cry of a hurting heart wrestling with the mysterious tension of pain and the promise of God's goodness. 
And I think that's a pretty consistent definition of our living experience. We see and experience pain, but as believers, we believe that God is good, but we see this tension, this difficulty, and even times in our perception, it might seem like there's a contradiction in place. And so not only is this actually a seems to be consistent with our living experience, I'm going to actually show you today this is actually consistent with what we see in Scripture. And so if you do have your Bibles, um, we wanna, we're going to turn to Psalm 13. And if you do have one of our dark red pew Bibles in the back, that will be on page 436 um, in your Bibles. So Psalm 13, page 436. And as you're turning to um, Psalm 13... Um, I'll sort of just, I guess, sort of briefly give you, so how did I get to this destination of preaching on lament? I mean, this is graduation Sunday, right? Preach on doing taxes or telling kids to be, how to be a real adult. Preach on something like that, right? And, um, and so several months ago, uh, Rex approached me and was like, hey, you know, um, during that weekend, my son's graduating. I won't get in till late. Brian's going to be out of town. You're third string. You got to go. You got to preach. And so I'm like, sure, yeah, I'm blessed with the opportunity. Um, it's a blessing, uh, and I'm definitely grateful for it. And so once that opportunity came to my plate in life, I started to pray. And I was like, Lord, you know, what, what do you want to teach the congregation? What do you want to teach the church? What do you want to say that hopefully I won't mess up and screw up, Lord? Um, and so I started praying, and the, the, sort of the first vague idea that I had was something oh, babe, about why God, something like that. It was very vague, nothing precise. And then over the past few months, God was Throwing everything at me. We were talking about scripture, books, songs, things I was hearing that sort of refined the direction of what I wanted to talk on today. And that's how I got to um, talking about lament. And so I think now everyone's at Psalm 13. I'm actually just going to read it out loud first and foremost. And then we'll sort of really go on a journey to go through, through Psalm 13 and understand what lament is. So Psalm 13 reads this. Oh Lord, how long will you forget me? Forever? How long will you look the other way? How long must I struggle with anguish in my soul, with sorrow in my heart every day? How long will my enemy have the upper hand? Turn and answer me, O Lord my God. Restore the sparkle to my eyes, or I will die. Don't let my enemies gloat, saying, We have defeated him. Don't let them rejoice at my downfall. But I trust in your unfailing love. I will rejoice because you have rescued me. I will sing to the Lord because he is good to me. Now, I do actually actually have a confession uh, to make. Um, I've been, you know, studying and minister for church ministry, studying God's word for, you know, a few years now and stuff. And I actually was doing a few specific studies on literature in the Old Testament and stuff like that. But I do have a confession. Every time I would... Psalm 13 is what's actually called a lament psalm. In our, in our Old Testament, we have the psalms. There's 150 of them. And they can be sort of categorized in different categories. And Psalm 13 is called a lament psalm. And so I would actually... Every time I'd come to these lament psalms, I would actually sort of chuckle a little bit. And the reason why I would say that is that I perceive these lament psalms seem that the psalmist, the writer... Was it seemed that he was sort of like a drama queen? Like, just think about it. You read, it's like, oh Lord, oh Lord, oh if you don't hurry up and turn to me now, I'm gonna die. 
But by the way, I trust in your unfailing love. And you're like, what is going on? I mean, this is only six verses. What is, is he on some aphrodisiac? I don't know. I mean, what is going on? And so that was always my perception. So I'd, I'd come to these lament psalms, read it very quickly. Like, All right, here we go. Here comes cry me a river business and move on to the next. That's really, that was my perception. I'm being, I'm confessing here. And then several months ago when God challenged me, he's like, re-examine the, re-examine lament in the lament psalms. And there's also other pieces of literature and scripture, lamentations. Hey, that's pretty good. Lament. Hey, it's there. Uh, Job and then other, there's other elements of uh, lament throughout the scriptures. And so I started to do a really active study on that. And so, um, and so, yeah, I came to a conclusion that I was, all right, my perception of what Lament Psalms were were completely wrong. But the first thing I, I had to realize was that, and I was like, how come I didn't think about this earlier? The Psalms were created, composed, designed as articles for worship. So we're talking about worship individually and worship corporately. And if you look at, it, at the church history, we would see that the people of God, they would memorize and sing and cry out and pray these psalms. And so if these lament psalms is actually an item of worship, then there's something clear that my perception of these lament psalms is clearly wrong. And so that motivated me to really dig deeper and find these details. And so as I was um, on this, actually through this process of researching about lament and studying it and being challenged to do it in my own life, I came across these um, the pattern of lament. And the reason why I say pattern is because lament is not a step process. It's not a mathematical equation. And lament is not a scientific experiment that you must do these things and then poof, the promises of God end up in your lap. And so lament is not to that extent. And depending on the nature of your pain, that's actually going to dictate the nature and the pattern of your lament. But there are obvious tendencies that are in Lament, and I'm going to walk through that with you, walk through this journey of what lament is. And so the first aspect of lament is turn. So what do I mean by turn? And so in Psalm 13, the psalmist writes two words, and only writes two words, O Lord. It seems so simple, it seems so basic, but it's yet profound. The thing about lament is that it's purely Christian. If you look at any kind of religion, worldview, philosophy of life, there's nothing like lament in that perspective, in those perspectives. And so lament is purely Christian in the sense that you are turning to the real, true God of the universe. So turning to God is very crucial. And so I'm going to give you another piece of scripture to demonstrate this point. Psalm 18.6 says this, but, I, but in my distress, I cried out to the Lord. Yes, I prayed to my God for help. He heard me from his sanctuary. My cry to him reached his ears. And that's in Psalm 18.6. And so when when we're turning to God, I mean, we're turning to God to pray to him, to talk to him, to have conversation, have communion with him. That's essential, an essential aspect to lament. If we're not turning to God, then we have to ask the question, who are we turning to or what are we turning to? And, And so if we're going to, so turning to God through this, process, or you can say through this journey of lament, it directs our emotions by prayerfully vocalizing our anguish, our questions, and even our doubts. And so there's a difference between, oh, I'm just going to just 
I have these raw emotions and just fling them everywhere versus I have these raw emotions, but they're on a path in a train track towards the God of the universe. There's a huge difference in that. And so turning to God specifically is very important. So that's the first aspect of lament. The next aspect of lament is complain. Now, I know this is probably the controversial, the most part, most controversial part of the entire sermon. Complain. Well, what do you mean complain? So probably half the people in here are probably like, complain. I like this guy. I like to complain. i got a Ph.D. in it. I'm good at it. And then the other half of the congregation probably like, don't we trust God? Can we? Not, uh, you need to. Don't. Don't. We shouldn't complain, right? And so um, based upon our American Western understanding, when we hear the word complain, we always think it's negative. It's a negative connotation. Someone's throwing a fit. Someone's being childish. They're complaining. They don't like something. And I want to actually show you and demonstrate to you that there seems to be two kinds of complaining. There is, you could say, non-Christian complaining, and then there's Christian complaining. And so if I had to, I guess, give you an image of what those look like. Here's what an image of non-Christian complaining looks like. You get pain, you're in a situation, and you cry out to God, God, I'm upset, don't like what's going on, run off to your room, lock the door, and keep God out. That's non-Christian complaining. I didn't get in my way. I'm mad. I'm upset. I'm casting you out, God. That's non-Christian complaining. But now we actually turn to Psalm 13. What is, how does the psalmist, how does the psalmist complain to God? And that's in verses 1 and 2. Oh, Lord, how long will you forget me? Forever? How long will you look the other way? How long must I struggle with anguish in my soul, with sorrow in my heart every day? How long will my enemy have the upper hand? And so just a reminder, once again, the Psalms is an article, an item of worship. And obviously when we read that, we see that, okay, he's making a complaint to God. So what's the difference between this non-Christian complaining that you just described versus Christian complaining? And here's the difference. Christian complaining is this. You experience the pain. You have this tension of a situation. But when you complain to God, God... I'm confused, I'm lost, I don't know what's going on, but I'm staying here. I'm not running off to my room and locking you out. I have a complaint to put to you, and this needs to get resolved. I want to see it resolved because I know you can resolve it. That is Christian complaining. And in the New Testament, we actually see an example where where Peter says this. Peter says this, So humble yourselves under the mighty power of God, and at the right time he will lift you up in honor. Give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares about you. What's interesting about this passage is that there's actually two big observations that sometimes English translations sort of miss. Um, The first thing is that the word give here, if you read it in um, the original language, the word actually has more of a connotation of unloading. And so some of you are like, yeah, I've got pain. I want to unload it today. So it's not just, hey, God, I want to give this to you. It's actually unloading it. It's casting it on God. But even then, on top of this, not only is it unloading our cares, concerns, worries, complaints to God, but Peter is specifically saying that by humbling ourselves, how do we humble ourselves before God? We approach to him and complain. That's what he specifically says here. It's a participle. It's not a verb here. And so humbling ourselves before God, Saying, I trust in you, God. I'm going to bring a complaint to you. You are demonstrating some kind of trust. And Peter says this here. And so when we're complaining, just understand we are doing so with a heart 
of humility. Yes, we might have some raw emotions of sadness and anger, but yes, we are humbling ourselves before God. We're not coming before God out of arrogance. We're not coming before God as like, I know better, God. I know you, I know this better than you. No, it's very clear that we are complaining in a state of humility. And just like so, once again, biblical complaint is always a complaint on the basis of one's belief in who God is and what he can do. So the psalmist said, I believe in you, and I know that what you can do. And so because I know who you are, and here's my life circumstance, I bring a complaint to you in a faithful Christian manner. Now the next aspect of lament, the lament journey, is ask. Ask. And so in verses 3 and 4, the psalmist says this, Turn and answer me, O Lord my God. Restore the sparkle to my eyes, or I will die. Don't let my enemies gloat, saying, we have defeated him. Don't let them rejoice at my downfall. Now, when you read that, it really looks like he's telling God what to do. God, get down here kind of deal. And that's not what he's doing. He's not actually ordering God what to do. He's actually asking God very boldly, hey, God, I know who you are. I know what you can do. I'm I'm asking you to act. I'm asking you to act according to your character. I'm asking you to act because you say who you are. And we see this demonstrated in the New Testament. Book of Hebrews. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us um, when we need it most. And so if you are a follower of Jesus, you, you have been baptized by the Holy Spirit... You can boldly approach God. When I mean boldly, once again, it's not out of arrogance. It's not out of childishness. It is out of humility. But this boldness is, I am confident in you, God. I can come approach you. And so we can truly approach God with humility. And at the same time, we can ask boldly because of three things. One, because God has told us of his character in his word. Secondly, he has shown us his character by his past actions. And then thirdly, he promises us that his character is sufficient to save and redeem all brokenness, pain, and suffering. So because of those reasons, we can, out of a humble state, truly, truly and boldly ask God to act. And now the, you could say, the final or the last um, pattern of uh, that we see in biblical lament is trust. Is trust, and so we see in Psalm thirteen verses five and six. But I trust in your unfailing love. I will rejoice because you have rescued me. I will sing to the Lord because He is good to me. And so now we see now that we've sort of we've sort of taken the scripture and we've broken it down and we've sort of walked through what's really going on, it makes a lot of sense now. Not only does it make sense of what we see here, it should maybe give you some hope of, wow, you know, I've had some real life experiences and emotions, but I have no idea how to navigate through that. And hopefully this will help you a little bit. And so we see the psalmist comes out, he turns to God, oh Lord, and then he offers his complaint out of humility, but also trusting in him. And then he asked boldly to God, for God, you, I need you to act according to your character, like you say in your word. And then finally, it comes to this place of trust. Now, some of you are probably like, and we just finally get to the trust part at the very end. 
what, what, this, what the process, or you could say the journey of lament, every step of the way we're trusting in God. But when we come to pain, our trust might, come, might be damaged and might be bruised um, because of this pain. But through, the, through this journey of lament, our trust is getting refined. Our trust is getting strengthened. So it's not, I'm doing these things, then trust has appeared. It's, I have a raw, rough trust and then through the journey of lament, I have come to where now at the end, I can boldly and sing praise to God because my trust has been refined and it is strong. And then we see in uh, Deuteronomy, understand therefore that the Lord your God is indeed God. He is the faithful God who keeps his covenant for a thousand generations and lavishes his unfailing love on those who love him and obey his commands. So when we have come to have a strong trust in God, we realize that lament is a type of worship that lets us celebrate and praise God's goodness and his good news with frustration, heartbreak, and even tears. And uh, actually, I was reading one of the books that I was reading that was focused on lament uh, was a book which I highly recommend is uh, Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy by Mark Vrogrop. And I'm going to read a quote that he says, and I think it confirms everything we just went through. And he says this, do you see now how uniquely Christian it is to lament? It takes faith to pray when you're in pain. Belief in God creates challenging questions. And lament provides the opportunity to reorient your hurting heart toward what is true. But in order for that to happen, you have to turn to prayer. The silent treatment must end. And what, he's, and what he's really, really trying to get at here is that when we experience pain in our life, sometimes we are quick to find the bright side of the situation. And uh, just to give you a practical example of why rushing to the bright side may not be the best way and may not be the way that God has compelled your heart to do, um, the summer before, last summer before I moved here to Wasion, I was in um, I was at another church in Kansas, and uh, the senior pastor he was out on vacation and stuff, and so I was taking care of his house and his pets and stuff. And one day I was I was going to bed, I was in bed, and it was like midnight. I get a call. It was a senior pastor. He was like, "Hey, you know, I need you to do me a favor." He's like, "Yeah, sure. What, what's the favor?" And he's like, "I need you to go to the hospital. Something's happened with one of our church families and their baby or something." I was like, "Okay, sure. I'll, I'll go meet him at the hospital." So I go to the hospital, and of course, through the process, we find out that their four-month-old um, passed away. It was a the baby aspirated, passed away um, in that process. And so, when the senior pastor is out on vacation with his family, and you've got a funeral to do, well, I got to do my first and only funeral, um, and it was a four-month-old child. And um, but in seeing that kind of pain, you know. What if I was to read off some scripture like Romans eight twenty eight, who all all things will come to good? Is that going to be? Can we quickly band aid that kind of pain with even with God's word? 
No, we can't. We can't. We can't bypass the tough struggle of lament. We can't bypass it. And so if God places us in the wilderness of lament, we should not rush to get out of that place or journey that God wants us to experience. Your pain can be a pathway toward a good, loving God and his promises if you allow yourself to learn the language of lament. And so as our worship team is uh, coming to um, the stage here to, to worship, and we can say the ending of our lament journey to where we can truly boldly shout and praise him, um, I, I just hope that we understand that through this journey from pain, the promise that it is hard. It is hard to... Um, it's difficult because it may not be comfortable to us. It may, may not be known to us. Some of us like to bottle in our emotions and, and don't know how to do it. Or we have, some of us, we have emotions and we spew them everywhere and we just don't know how to control it. And so actually before uh, they play their song, I'm actually going to, um, a few weeks ago, I actually, I was challenged by God. Hey, Paul, I need you to lament. I need you to do some stuff. And so I've been writing my own laments for the past few weeks. And actually, I'm going to share with you my very first lament that I did. And so this is what I wrote a few weeks ago. God, I approach you in a time of need. I need you to hear me now as I plead. Often it seems I only have one friend. The man in the mirror has time to spend. It's not good that man should be alone. Fulfill your word from your heavenly throne. Yet, I bow down to your majesty today. Yes, you're the potter and I the clay. Your divine ways are far greater than mine. I trust in you and know all will be fine. Please join me in prayer. God, Father, Son, Spirit, Lord, thank you so much for not only challenging me, but um, compelling me to challenge uh, the body of Christ here at True North to um, navigate. How do we navigate this journey from pain to promise? And Lord, there's too many times we try to take shortcuts and we try to avoid the difficulties and the tensions and the wrestling that, that we have in the Christian life. And Lord, I pray, Lord, that we realize that we need and must go through the toll way of lament. We must pay the cost. We must go through the wilderness and the struggle if we truly want to experience what we truly desire. And that's the life of God, the promises of God in our life in an obvious and manifest way. And I say all this in your son's name. Amen.